Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause sitting in for Rashmi Nair. And uh, it's smart speaker time. Smart speaker was a very, very cool time on the show when we bring in people uh, who are smarter than me to talk about some of the big stories of the day. And uh, there's lots of things to talk about uh, today. So uh, help me welcome uh, Garatan Singh, VP at Crestview Strategy, community advocate and lawyer, Jamie Elderton, founding partner at Canaptis and longtime political strategist, and uh, Sarbjeet Kaur, co-founder of KPW Communications. Welcome, everybody. What's up, Richard? So, we have in Toronto $1.9 billion that had been allocated to the crumbling Gardner Expressway. Uh, Now we've we've, we've reclaimed that money. So, to let you know just how much money that is, according to BlogTO, Toronto's state of good repair spending for 2023 saw $1.9 billion allocated to the Gardner Expressway compared to just $1.3 billion for every single other road in Toronto combined. So, you know, it's a lot of money. It's a cool statistic. But what can you do with uh, $1.9 billion? Well, apparently, you could buy the entire CFL and have loads of money left over. Uh, there's lots of things. We could buy a battleship. That would take up most of it. But I wanted to ask uh, each of you, and uh, Garatan, I'll start with you, uh, what would you do with uh, $1.9 billion that we're saving? Well, first, let me start off by saying that when I heard how amazing this deal is for Toronto, my jaw dropped. Olivia Chow, Mayor Olivia Chow, has done a fantastic job prioritizing the issues that Torontonians impact Torontonians and Torontonians care about. And she delivered. Within the first couple months of her being elected as mayor, she came with a solution to one of the biggest money pits this city has ever experienced, which is the crumbling DVP and Gardner. And now there's going to be funds available to invest into the, and this is what I frankly think, you know, it's already outlined and this is where the money should go, towards the TTC, towards Mm -hmm. services, towards homeless shelters, towards libraries, towards services that families rely upon. Now there's finally going to be resources available towards you know, one of the you know best cities in the world, but it, it, the, this label of best city would have been at risk, but for the city's ability to invest in services, and now the city has those re- resources. So bravo to Mayor Chow. This is what happens when you elect progressives. They actually prioritize people, and they get wins for people, and this is evident in the deal that we have. Jamie, should we buy a battleship, or uh, what do you think? Well, I think the first thing the city should do is probably put it towards the credit card because it's effectively carrying a balance right now with a massive budget deficit. And uh, the province has stepped in to take the Gardner and the DVP and upload that to the province because, of course, most people coming in on that Gardner every day are actually coming from, say, uh, the 905 uh, further afield or coming down the 404 into the DVP from the northern parts of New York region. So I think it makes sense that the province is going to take part of this provincial infrastructure. But this also goes to show, Richard, as to why that 1.9 figure that everyone's focusing on, it's because the Gardner has been neglected mm-hmm. uh, and our infrastructure has been neglected. So there's actually a state of good repair work 
backlog across infrastructure, critical infrastructure, the kind of boring stuff of government that people don't think about uh, on a day-to-day basis that we all rely on. And I think the funding will go to close the bu- only the budget gap, but to close that state of good repair work backlog so that we can uh, fix a lot of the other things that ailed the city. I hope so, because I, I live downtown, as I've talked about so often on this station, and when I leave my house, I often feel like I'm in some kind of dystopian hellscape uh, because things feel like they're falling down around me and I'm, I'm glad I'm just glad to see uh, something a step in the right direction here uh, Sarbjeet what do you think yeah, I, I agree. I don't believe that the property tax base was ever designed to fund major infrastructure. Um, it was meant to deal with municipal services like water, sewer, maintenance of local roads. And over time, it's become, you know, what we fund our police services at, and that's become a ballooning budget. And now we've gotten into housing and we've gotten into a lot of things, which, you know, the city feels that these are important priorities, so they step up and they do these things. But what it ultimately results results in is mission creep, that you're doing things that are not supposed to be in your jurisdiction, and then you're fighting over money, and there's only one taxpayer, and the taxpayer says, I already paid provincial tax or federal tax and property tax, and I want everyone to do only in exactly what they are supposed to do, because I'm already paying for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a win. Um, it's definitely major you know, infrastructure that's used by many. I kind of agree that it should be TTC, public transit. The more people that are using public transit, uh, the better. I'd love to see, you know, more free public transit, maybe for people under 18, because that actual increased ridership and and usage um, just makes the case to have more public transit. And for sure, uh, all the construction everywhere you turn, hopefully this means more money can go go into that and just making the city pleasant and not having overflowing garbage bins and trash and things like that. So you don't think, like uh, T.O. or Blog T.O. seems to, that we could double down on our status as a top music city by buying the entire music catalogs of Taylor Swift, which would cost about $450 million, Bob Dylan, $400 million, or Bruce Springsteen. Put it all together. That's about $500 million. Uh, we, we have to do more practical stuff with it, I guess. And Sounds like we're all responsible people on this call I, today. I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, Garethan, let's talk a little bit about uh, the insult terrorist who murdered a Toronto spa worker with a sword, sentenced as an adult to life in prison. Uh, You're a lawyer. I I don't know what sort of law that you practice, but uh, there was a sentence to life in prison as an adult with no chance of parole for 10 years. And so we've gotten kind of a mixed response to this uh, from people that have called in and and from uh, my Twitter feed, people talking about it, saying that parole in 10 years uh, seems kind of uh, lenient. What do you think? So let's start off by saying that this was a heinous, hate-filled terrorist attack against uh, a woman, uh, multiple individuals, and this is, you know, this kind of hate needs to be condemned in the fullest and most complete way possible. Uh, I also think it's important to note that this is a really scary rise in this kind of far right-wing, you know, incel-inspired acts of terror that we're seeing across the world. And it's terrible to see this kind of misogyny. This this is an ideology that basically is is fostered or is developed to hate women. And it's something that we need to think long and hard as a as a uh, as a community, as a society, about how can we push back against this kind against this kind of just evil hatred towards women and 
Um, you know, my understanding is, you know, based on my reading of the, uh, based on the reading of the article that he was like six months prior to turning 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's very important that because he hasn't shown, he's shown no remorse in my understanding. And because of the, the really devastating nature of this attack that you need to demonstrate and, and send a message to say that this kind of hate has no place and we need to take severe uh, steps to to ensure that this kind of individual is uh, is is facing the the you know the strongest uh, you know strongest tools we have in our law. Jamie, do you think that it's important that even though uh, this person, this terrorist, was uh, just shy of turning eighteen, which would have meant that he would have been tried as an adult, uh, that uh, for sure that they they tried him as an adult, sort of as a, a way to uh, send a message to others saying your age isn't going to protect you here. Yeah, I think that's also extraordinary, especially if we look at the long history of Canada's justice system being uh, quite lenient. I think for some, uh, they're going to hear that only 10 years and then be eligible for parole is offensive. And of course, being eligible for parole doesn't mean you're going to get parole. I think, as Gortand uh, just said, the fact that he has shown no remorse uh, and just how heinous and vicious uh, this violent murder was, I think, shows why the system has now thrown the proverbial uh, book at him. And I think we'll continue to further calls to see a review of sentencing in Canada so that uh, the time that people are given matches the severity of the crime of what they committed. Sarbjeet, we're out of time in this segment, but we're sticking around uh, for another segment. I'll get to you on this when we come back uh, from the break. We're also going to talk about uh, not investigating the Las Vegas trip uh, involving the Greenbelt developer and lots and lots of other things with the smart speakers when we continue on The Rush. I'm Richard Krause in for Rush Munair. Stay with me. Lots of great stuff coming up. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause sitting in for Rush Munair. Nair. Uh, it's smart speaker time. Uh, that's the time when really smart people talk about the big stories of the day. Welcoming back uh, to the arena, uh, Gurton Singh, VP at Crestview Strategy, community advocate and lawyer, Jamie Ellerton, founding partner at Canaptis and longtime political strategist, and Sarbjeet Kaur, co-founder of KPW Communications. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Sarbjeet, I'm going to uh, give you a chance to talk about the uh, insult terrorist uh, who murdered a Toronto spa worker with a sword, sentenced to life uh, as an adult um, with a possibility of parole in 10 years. Uh, do you think justice has been served? You know, I agree with most of what Garutin and Jamie said. The only thing I really have to add is um, we're putting a lot of focus on whether the sentence is severe enough or not. In the one hand, some people would feel that a person who is a youth technically should not be tried as an adult. And on the other hand, people would feel that uh, the chance of parole after 10 years is too lenient. But putting that aside, I just think the end of the day, this is a 17-year-old. I don't think it influences much people's thought process when you're that far gone and radicalized that you're, you're ready to commit this kind of violence, that you're thinking ahead of what kind of sentence I'm going to have. That's, that's not in their thought process at that point. What we have to really worry about is the root causes. 
and the fact that it's always the young that are vulnerable to um, any kind of radicalization in all types of terrorism. And putting one person in jail doesn't deal with that root cause, which is the toxic sludge that's on the Internet and people who prey on these young people to act out what they are urging them to do. So I just think we need to think of that and, and deal with what's happening online and in other places. The City of Toronto is permanently closing its fixed-site COVID-19 vaccination clinics next month. I think it's December 13th. They will officially close. Uh, we heard a report earlier uh, from CP24 that they are still quite busy, uh, that they are still well used. Uh, Guritan, do you think it is time to close these down, or are we jumping the gun? COVID hasn't gone away, and I think as much as we want it to go away and want to pretend that it's gone away... Uh, every time I look at the news and, and see the article about it, all I hear is report and report after uh, describing that this is uh, a virus that's once again on the rise. As we know, what happens in these winter months when people go indoors and, and we stop getting outside and you know all the other reasons why this, this virus spreads. Uh, I think it's important that people get vaccinated and follow the advice of healthcare professionals. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to get my shot. And, and I think, uh, you know, the more accessible these are, uh, two people, the better it is to help protect the population from a sickness that we know uh, has a de- devastating result. So I think we need to continue to make sure that these kind of services are available. Jamie, what do you think? Yeah, Richard, I'm not sure we need to have these clinics specifically open given the costs associated with them. I know in more recent reports, uptake of vaccines is quite low. And so although these clinics might be used, if there are so many other places, including your own doctor's office, pharmacies and other clinics where vaccinations take place, that these can ultimately reach and into people's arms who need them, uh, then perhaps it is time to close these. I think if people look at the extraordinary measures that were taken and the societal organizing of what took place for the initial vaccination movements in the uh, after vaccines became available during the pandemic to kind of keep that level of pace up uh, seems to be a bit overkill. So I, I'm not surprised to see these site-specifics closed because people can get them in so many other places. Sarbjeet, will you miss these or, or will you just go to your doctor or what's your take on this? I don't have a strong feeling for and against. Mm-hmm. I think whoever made this decision would have looked at, you know, this usage rates and how many people are using them and what the cost associated is. I do find clinics way more convenient than trying to get an appointment with your doctor um, for scheduling reasons and just many people don't have a family doctor. But the fact that you can get vaccines and vaccinations through pharmacies now, I think goes a long way in solving that problem. I do like that they were doing other vaccines as well. Um, I know when my kids were in school, they missed the day that they were doing it at school Mm -hmm. and that it was a huge hassle to go and get the other vaccines and we went to a Toronto Public Health Clinic. So if the pharmacies are not offering those, then perhaps there's still a role for them to play. But um, again, if there's other options and there's just not a lot of people using them, it wouldn't make sense to keep them open. So Sports Illustrated got caught using AI. Now, this is a magazine, been around for generations. Uh, Some of my favorite writers like Kurt Vonnegut Jr. and John Steinbeck, Jack Kerouac, have actually written for the magazine amongst hundreds and hundreds of other very talented writers. In this case, there was an article about volleyball, among several others, uh, that seemed to be completely written by AI and uh, even had a fake 
uh, profile of the quote unquote author of the uh, article at the bottom of it. So, uh, Gerton, I don't know. I, I I hate to see this uh, because I see journalists uh, being put out of work by this. But is this the future? Will we be seeing more and more and more of this? I hope it's not the future. I think that, you know nothing matches the creativity of of the human mind, and I think uh, you know the fact that it's so easy for us to tell if it's like written by AI. Mm-hmm. To be clear, like you know, we can always kind of. It seems it lacks that. Let me say spirit. Let me say more human terms, right? That soul, if you will. And uh, I think writing is an amazing skill. It's an amazing profession, and and I think we need to. It's important that we continue to invest in this institution in our society people want to take their thoughts and create compelling articles books novels movies and more and i think that we need to ensure that this is something that's protected so i you know it, it makes me doesn't make me feel the you know doesn't leave me with a good feeling knowing that uh we have fake profiles and fake uh, or you know fake generated or artificially intelligence generated articles being put out there and i think i guess the degree is it wasn't openly disclosed is that is that the context well, that it, like they, they, they took it down after it was discovered, but it was fairly easy to figure out. Uh, Jamie, one of the lines in the story about volleyball was, volleyball is a game that is played with the ball. That should be your first clue that this was not written by a human. <laughs> yeah, I think the reality is there's a lot of crap AI out there. So people look to try and cut costs and like essentially farm for clicks and some of the other crap you see on the internet but uh, the potential for ai and what's happening is, is quite real and I, the reality is richard i think we are in incredible early days mm-hmm. and uh, i think the same kind of panic you saw of motion picture film and what it was <laughs> going to mean for humanity and what it became you, you saw professionalization of the medium uh and perhaps we'll get there i noticed actually i was on cb24.com a bit earlier there was another headline fake ai generated woman on tech conference agenda leads Microsoft and Amazon execs to drop out. So this is everywhere. Its use is incredibly clumsy right now. I think people need to be a bit more due, do do more due diligence uh, and make sure that what they're reading is real. And uh, the life advice that everyone should always follow, don't believe everything you read on the internet. And Sarpjit, I'll give you the final word on AI in SI. Yeah, I think it's a natural progression from proper reporting and writing, let's call it proper, to sites that just aggregated news from other sites to now not even doing that. But I think if we kind of forget about trying to prop up the old models, I've never been comfortable with newspaper subscriptions, magazines costing money, books costing money. I feel like knowledge is is something that should be available to everyone, and there should be a way to support that. And if you look at online, whether it's TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever someone has talent, they have been able to draw an audience. And those platforms that have some kind of way for that creator to earn money and monetize that, everyone can do well. But what we've seen, and this is the big fight between the news outlets and uh, Meta right now, is they don't want to always share that wealth. And if there was a way to change it so that we can monetize that, that, that content that deserves to be compensated, that knowledge can still be accessible to everyone in a different format on a different platform. Thanks so much, smart speakers. We have to leave it there. We're out of time, Uh, but uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for uh, your opinions and ideas.